Hey everyone, you're listening to the Respiritualized Podcast, a fresh take on life's biggest questions. I'm Loka Ram Das, here today with my co-host, Jaini Tai. We want to start with a poem from the Irish playwright and political activist, George Bernard Shaw. Shaw lived during the turn of the 20th century, and he received the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1925. The poem's title is Living Graves. Here it is. We are the living graves of murdered beasts, slaughtered to satisfy our appetites. We never pause to wonder at our feasts if animals like men can possibly have rights. We pray on Sundays that we may have light to guide our footsteps on the path we tread. We're sick of war we do not want to fight. The thought of it now fills our hearts with dread. And yet, we gorge ourselves upon the dead. Like carrion crows, we live and feed on meat. Regardless of the suffering and pain we cause by doing so, if thus we treat defenseless animals for sport or gain, how can we hope in this world to attain the peace we say we're so anxious for? We pray for it o'er hecatombs of slain to God while outraging the moral law. This cruelty begets its offspring, war. What a powerful poem. Shah had such a clear grasp of the karmic law that violence breeds violence. The problem is that our material bodies virtually cannot survive without inflicting harm on another living being. In the Bhagavatam, the sage Narada explains this point in the following Sanskrit verse. Ahastani sahastanam apadani chatushpadam palguni tatramhatam jivo jivasya jivanam those who are devoid of hands are prey for those who have hands. Those devoid of legs are prey for the four-legged. The weak are the subsistence of the strong, and the general rule holds that one living being is food for another. The basic principle of material life is mutual exploitation. When we realize this, we realize we need to seek something higher. As spiritual beings, we simply do not belong in this material world. As Krishna tells Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita, this entire material universe is nothing but a Ferris wheel of birth and death. A true seeker knows this, and they live their life accordingly. When this realization really dawns on us, that's when we start looking for our real home. So this is what it means to be a, a real spiritual seeker, and that's what I wanted to discuss today. Any thoughts, Johnny Tai? Yes, um, the poem and also the verse from Bhagavatam give very graphic examples of the exploitative nature of our existence in this world. And these days, even there are a lot of documentaries about such things, like very ghastly things that are happening. So we may understand the very harsh reality of this world. But my question is, how do we practically apply that knowledge? For instance, are there some principles that we can meditate on and bring into our life to experience real spiritual freedom from this type of exploitation? Or at least, is there something that we can derive some more sincerity in appreciating the value of spiritual freedom that we may want knowing these things are going on? Hmm. 
Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is the way that Krishna starts off his instructions to Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita. The very first thing he wants Arjuna to understand is, where is your consciousness? What are you identifying as the cause of your problem? In the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna is acting completely on this bodily platform, this bodily concept of self, that I am this physical form. I am this material mind. And Krishna wants him to understand that this is all an illusion, that the real self is a transcendental spiritual spark of consciousness. And so he says it in so many different ways, again and again, again and again and again throughout the Bhagavad Gita, that our real self, our real nature is transcendental to this world of phenomenal matter. One powerful meditation is to look around us and see death is everywhere. As Krishna tells Arjuna, one who has taken birth is sure to die. And one who dies is sure to take birth again. This is the cycle of samsara that just keeps going and going and going as long as we desire it for ourselves. So we have to be sober to recognize this world is a temporary place. And I am an eternal being. There's a fundamental incompatibility there. Hmm. We have to... And we have to hear these messages. We, 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 it's not enough, like you said, we, we can watch a documentary or maybe hear, hear a podcast, you know, once in a mm. while. But if we're not hearing these things every day, then it's not going to sink in. It's not going to become our new way of seeing. Mm. If I were to start living in a way that acknowledges myself as an eternal being um, rather than just the temporary body I occupy. And, and I really want to endeavor to live in that spiritual platform. What does reading sacred texts such as Bhagavad Gita or Srimad Bhagavatam offer me that isn't available in other um, religious, spiritual, or say even psychological texts? Nice question. We, we discussed this a little bit in a previous episode, just last week, actually, that the soul is, is a pleasure-seeking being. We have to seek pleasure. And right now, we're programmed, you could say, to seek pleasure in temporary sensual activity, eating the foods that we like, watching the shows that we like laying in our comfy beds, all of these things. In one sense, it seems harmless. Mm. But the trouble is, it's just like a person who thinks that a Happy Meal at McDonald's counts as dinner. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a healthy meal. But if, right. if that's what you grow up with, that's where your parents take you for dinner, then you think mm -hmm. this is it. And then, and then your whole life, you, you live on Big Macs and, and French fries and, and uh, supersized Cokes. Mm -hmm. After 30, 40, 50 years, you're going to be extremely unhealthy. 
So when our concept of pleasure has zero spiritual, uh, no, it doesn't have any spiritual dimension. If we have mm. no spiritual nourishment, then we'll end up unfulfilled and feeling like there's a big void in our life. If we're mm. a little bit conscious, if we're a little bit alert and aware of how we're actually feeling inside. I mean, some people, they're just so numb that they don't even recognize their inner lack of fulfillment. Mm. So reading the mm. Bhagavad Gita, reading the Bhagavatam, reading any wisdom literature, any spiritual literature, helps us stay connected to this real purpose of life that we need spiritual sustenance. We're spiritual beings. We need to hear that again and again and again. And we're ultimately dependent. We're not meant to live disconnected from Krishna. Mm. We're dependent on Krishna. If we don't have a connection with Krishna, we're like fish out of water. Mm. It's like a, like a, a, a baby in the womb. If you disconnect the umbilical cord, it'll die. So our soul in this material world is covered by the material energy, maya, illusion. And by hearing these instructions from Krishna and from other self-realized sages who are devotees of Krishna, it revives our transcendental knowledge. Mm -hmm. And it illuminates our consciousness. We, we can see the world for what it really is. We see through the illusion. Mm. It reminds me of a verse uh, in Bhagavad Gita and another one in Bhagavatam that it's like our consciousness is covered over. Uh, I've heard the expression that you don't know what you don't know. Mm. Um, yeah. You're speaking about like, um, like sort of exposing our mind to these texts in order to see things as they are and also and associate with those who sort of have already done that. Um, yeah. It reminds me of a couple of verses. One in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says to Arjuna, he says, as a blazing fire turns firewood to ashes, or Arjuna, so does the fire of knowledge burn to ashes all reactions to material activities. And the same um, analogy is given in Bhagavatam to Uddhava by Krishna. He says, my dear Uddhava, just as a blazing fire turns firewood into ashes. Similarly, devotion to me completely burns to ashes, sins committed by my devotees. What inspires me about these particular verses is that the innate power of fire that Though a person may be completely ignorant, for instance, like a child may not know the potency of fire, but nonetheless, in the hands of a child, fire still has the ability to burn to ashes like an entire field. So in the same way, um, can it be understood that even though I may be limited in my faith by exposing my mind to these texts and, and to those who are participating in these activities that I may experience the benefits? Yeah, it's, it's exactly like that. 
bhakti works it's a it's a scientific process it's not based on some individual special quality one person has that another person doesn't have like a magic touch it's exactly like fire it burns when you touch it it burns so when you worship krishna you chant hari krishna you think about krishna you hear about krishna's teachings you experience something different than any anywhere else anything else that you can possibly experience it's a transcendental experience mm. one verse that i like comes in the 5th chapter of the gita text 22 arjuna tells uh, krishna tells arjuna that an intelligent person does not take part in the sources of misery which are due to contact with the material senses o son of kunti such pleasures have a beginning and an end and so the wise man does not delight in them mm like one challenge i have is like you know i go to work and i work all day and then i come home and then you know there's this consideration of self realization and uh, in my own apartment i'm not so inspired to you know open up bhagavad gita and read it or or chant hari krishna because it's like you said the the familiar things are already there even though they're ultimately sources of misery it's almost like um there's a tendency to kick the can down the road is there something yeah. that like can help make it easier to like start yeah the best thing is to find people who are doing it and spend some time with them learn from them hear from them see how they're doing it what have they gained from their practice mm we shouldn't accept anything blindly you should know what you're getting into what are these people who are telling me to do this bhakti yoga what is their life like how have they benefited why should i give my confidence to them and and trust them that they're not misleading me we should see that they're actually people worth following worth giving some attention to mm and when we spend time with them we naturally become more inspired i want to chant too i can see how this person is unlike anyone else i've ever met their qualities are extraordinary mm. krishna describes some of the qualities of a self-realized person they're mm. peaceful compassionate non-judgmental they don't make distinctions between friends and enemies between praise and criticism between pleasure and pain and the scriptures describe so many saints who fit these descriptions you can see it's in their in their life histories it's not made up and when we spend time with people who have these qualities we realize that's the greatest wealth we could possibly gain these transcendental qualities culminating in real love real love for krishna and for all living beings this is the greatest wealth anyone could gain so why not invest in that mm. but it takes some collective momentum just like a fire if you already have something burning the more fuel you add to it 
the bigger the fire gets, the hotter it gets, and the longer it will burn, to the point that it can practically burn anything you throw in it. So when you have a group of people that are practicing bhakti yoga together, the energy becomes very powerful. And very quickly, we'll realize that something real is happening here. What if, um, let's say the doubt comes to mind, well, like, you know, I'm, I'm not, maybe I'm not so near people that are like devotees or people that are, you know, really in the fire. Um, it's a worthwhile endeavor to arrange my life to associate with those. Like, what's more important for me to try it on my own in my apartment or like try, try out practicing bhakti yoga kind of like, what's the most expedient way? Should I just pick up and move somewhere where I can associate with people or the doubt comes because in my own life, I've had times where, you know, I didn't have such an ex like an accessible association. I had to kind of go out of my way. And now in my life, you know, I couldn't imagine not living in the association of spiritually minded people. So what do you, what's, what's your advice regarding that? I mean, what's more important to read or to associate or both, or to maybe pick up some bhakti practices in terms of like, what's going to give me the most bang for my buck? Well, it's going to look a little bit different for everyone just because we all have different life circumstances and we're all at different phases in our spiritual path. Hmm. So we have to be careful not to just try to be a carbon copy of somebody else. Hmm. At the same time, there are basic principles that, that work regardless of our circumstances. This Hare Krishna mantra is universal. Everyone can chant it and experience a transcendental result because Krishna appears in the form of the sound vibration of this mantra. Also, he appears in the form of the Bhagavatam, this transcendental literature that has so many amazing, profound spiritual insights and, and histories of great sages and kings who themselves experience the results of their practice of bhakti so we can learn from them. At Respiritualize, we're trying to develop a greater online community to fulfill this need you're talking about. It's not, it's not easy to find other spiritual practitioners in one's immediate local area. Mm. The, key, the key is to just do what we can, do whatever you can. You don't have to mm. have it all immediately and everything that you do counts. So just by having a half hour or an hour set aside every morning for some chanting, um, some Hare Krishna meditation, with the Maha Mantra, reading transcendental books, and then at least on a weekly basis, connecting with somebody else. Like we have these discussion groups every weekend, you can tune in, or you can find other friends. You know, your, people's social networks are often bigger and more interconnected than, than they would think. To start mm. asking around, hey, does anyone know a Hare Krishna I could talk to? You'll probably find yeah. within, within two yeah. or three connections, hey, yeah, my, my cousin's girlfriend, <laughs> she's Hare Krishna, right. Right. or my, my, uh, you know, my neighbor's uncle. 
whatever. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they're out there. It's it's not, a, and actually, it's growing. It's a growing number. Mm. So you just look like like Jesus Christ taught his disciples: seek, and ye shall find. But if you're not seeking, don't expect to find anything. Right. How how right. serious how serious are we? Mm about our spiritual well-being. I mean, today, people have a really hard time even taking their physical well-being that seriously. Right. We know how to live a healthy life, but who's actually doing it? Right. So I recall there's a verse that even Krishna says, like, something about, I only, I like, I, the Sanskrit ends with, like, dadami buddhi yogam tam. This verse, yeah. he's like, yeah, he says, you, what's yeah. that verse? Yeah. Tesham satatayuktanam bhajatam priti purvakam dadami buddhi yogam tam yenamam upayantite. He says that those who worship me with love and devotion, to them, I give the intelligence by which they can come to me. Mm. We shouldn't doubt. Krishna is the supreme controller. He's conscious of everything, and he's in control of everything. If we make genuine, sincere steps towards him to try to understand if he exists, who he is, that we should have some positive confirmation of that. Our teacher, Srila mm-hmm. Prabhupada, our teacher Prabhupada would say, we should want to see God in this lifetime. Don't, mm. think that, don't think that real spiritual attainment comes only at the time of death. I mean, talk about, mm. a, post, talk about a post-dated check. <laughs> <laughs> like, just do whatever we tell you your whole life, and when you die, you'll get the benefit. Right. It, it doesn't sound very appealing to the, no. to the modern mind. So right. Krishna, Krishna knows better than that. He says, become enlightened in this lifetime. Mm. Practice this now. Mm. Do bhakti now and get the results now. Why wait, right. another, why wait another year? So yeah. we, we need to be sober enough, awake enough to recognize how miserable we are and to actually yeah. want to want something higher. If we're satisfied, yeah. if we're satisfied to just go on with life as it is, as we've been kind of just like you said, kicking the can down the road another 5, 10, 20, 30, 50 years until we get to the dead end, we can do yeah. that. No one's going to stop us from doing that. In fact, most people that we know will just encourage us to do just that. Yeah. But yeah. We need to aspire for something higher. So are we ready for that? Are we willing to to put in the effort to just do what we know to do? Krishna is making himself so accessible. Mm. And you mentioned that um, a matter of like taking to a spiritual practice early in the morning, you said like 30 minutes in the morning. That seems like a good way to sort of like prioritize that in my life. Like... Um, doing some chanting or reading in the morning, like before I do anything else. Yeah, kind that's of what like I do. Setting the tone. Yeah, I wake up at four thirty, and from five to six thirty, it's blocked out every day. That's when I do my mantra meditation. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's great. It, it's how I stay sane. So, all right, Krishna. Yeah.
Um, that's really great. And I think, yeah, I think that's pretty much because then like you've already set the tone for the day. Like this is like I'm living for spiritual self-realization. And by doing that in the morning, I can carry that experience into my day rather than trying to like just, you know, go into the day and then come home and trying to like pull it off in the evening, sort of, so to speak. Um. Yeah, there was a productivity guru, an American guy. I can't remember his name. Maybe, maybe this is Stephen Covey. He said, mm-hmm. put first things first. Mm. I think that was him. So the idea is, if there's really something that's the most important thing in your life, why wouldn't you do that first every day? Mm, Yeah. Like most people, they wake up and then they eat breakfast because eating is the most important thing in their life. (laughs) Right. But is that what, is that what I want to be? Like, I want to just be like an animal that just goes out Mm. and finds food and eats the food. And then I think, great, that's a great day. I ate. Right. No. Mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're meant for more than that. <laughs> I mean, come right. on. The human brain is, is meant for more than just finding better food. Right. The, the uh, U.S. Air Force developed this, um, this proto- it's like one branch of the material is called the hierarchy of values. We're like, you start at the very top, like this is the main priority in life. And then yeah. other, everything, and that creates a context for the lesser things. Like if this is the main thing I'm doing, then I do that. And that also creates a context for how to do the things that are of lesser value. Um, for instance, like I could even dovetail my, like if my main thing is spiritual life and secondarily it's eating, but I still have to eat. Right. So even my spiritual life can create a context for how I eat. For exactly. instance, we don't want to eat like the way the poem is describing people eating. Exactly. 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 It's not black and white. We have to be mature and, and thoughtful. Be thoughtful. Be, use, your, use your brain. You have a brain. Use it. Just think about things a little bit. We're not mm. telling anyone, and Krishna certainly doesn't say. In fact, in the sixth chapter, he directly, plainly says, you have to be balanced in eating. You have to be balanced in exercise. You have to be balanced in sleeping. And that's going to look a little bit different mm. for everyone. Mm. But why are we sleeping? Why are we eating? What's our higher purpose? Is it just to get through the day and, and then get through another day until we die? Just to have our, our maintain our petty addictions or are we living for something that we really think is valuable worthwhile Mm. and is it not is it just is it just something that we think is valuable or is it something that actually stands up to objective scrutiny (laughs) right right exactly could we actually defend it to somebody else who's challenges us hey like why are you living for this you know, right. because few people can, few people really know in a deep way why and what they're living for. This path of bhakti is so clear and deep. We just have to explore it. And the more we explore it, the more we realize 
It's perfect. There's no better path. Respiritualize is a weekly podcast with new episodes every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern. We also host free courses on the science of bhakti yoga and ancient wisdom texts such as the Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam. For more information and to register for a course, visit www.respiritualize.com. If you have questions or comments from today's episode, or if you want to suggest a new topic for us to discuss on Respiritualize, please write to us at respiritualize at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hare Krishna.